When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Avengers, it's Age of Ultron. It's garbage, folks. Is it an alligator or a crocodile? I don't know the difference, and at this point, I'm too afraid to ask. Look at that. That is a werewolf. <laughs> What is up, everyone? Welcome to Denny Geek Presents Marvel Stand Them Live, which, full disclosure, is not actually live this week because of technical difficulties. But if you're watching this on YouTube or anywhere else or listening to the podcast version, welcome. What can I say? Anyway, you probably already know that each week we give you the deepest possible dives on all the goings on in the MCU, Marvel Comics and beyond. With me for all time and always, we have Denny Geek News and Features Editor Kirsten Howard, Denny Geek TV Editor Alec Bajalin, and our special guest this week is comedian and writer Bethany Black. Today, we are covering all the weirdness in Episode 3 of She-Hulk Attorney at Law, as well as what might be in store for the MCU version of Avengers The Kang Dynasty. And that is where we're going to start. But first, Beth. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your history as a Marvel fan. Oh, God. Well, I have been a Marvel fan, like, almost my entire life. Like, my the shape of my trauma is the exact shape of uh, Peter Parker's. So, you know, I, uh, I've i gone deep on this. Um, <laughs> I've been, I, I'm a comedian. I'm a writer. I've been in television stuff. I was in Doctor Who once. Uh, I do get quite excited about talking about that. Um, yeah, and like I, I, I don't know. It's been such a long time. I like I remember first sort of like Spider Man was obviously my introduction into Marvel comics, and um, mostly through the TV cartoons that were shown here in the 1980s. So it was Spider Man and his amazing friends uh, with Firestar and Iceman. Uh, and yeah, and then from that, I just sort of like I was always like obsessed with them, but really difficult to get hold of where I lived. So like the, I can remember the first comic book I bought was an X Men comic in the early nineties because uh, I got it just it, the newsagent's opposite my dentist was the only place that I'd ever seen that sold them, and like I got hold of this and it was like a fantastic object that seemed so exotic. It was like I knew of them from films, but I'd never seen a proper Marvel comic anywhere, and that was it just hooked ever since i love it i love i love the idea of like a comic as a transformational object in somebody's <laughs> history you know so yeah i gotta say my first crush was firestar from spider-man and his amazing friends i think that's not an overshare but <laughs> my gosh um, <laughs> Mike's just going to gloss over it. We made it too awkward. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, look, that's what's happened here. I may have a similar story, but uh, I don't know. Like, uh, Firestar, Beverly from Howard the Duck. Like, there was definitely, uh, you know, yeah. I love that film. I loved that yeah. film. I love the fact that, like, in the mid 1980s, George Lucas gets his choice of whatever he can do. Oh, what do you want to do a Marvel thing? Yeah, what do you want to do? could try and do Spider-Man, could do these. No, Howard the Duck. That's the one I want to go for. <laughs> I will always love that movie. I, 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 will, I will not hear any Howard the Duck slander. Absolutely. <laughs> At least not on this episode. I won't, I won't hear it. But um, we should probably start off with the Kang Dynasty, even as a lifelong Marvel Comics reader. The Kang Dynasty can be a lot. How do we explain the Kang Dynasty to our audience? Because, like, I understand why this has been chosen as an Avengers movie, because, like, the broadest possible strokes of this, it is it is movie worthy. Like, it is yeah. definitely like a big enough story. Um, I think the easiest way to describe it before we get into some of the weirder details is like. This is the story where Kang kind of gets what he wants. Right. This is the story where Kang is able to kind of 
marshal all of, you know, the best versions of himself to come and, you, you know, sort of unite all of these other general threats to the planet Earth and basically conquer the planet for a brief period of time. Um, and this sounds like a story that would be big enough to be a crossover, but it was completely self-contained in the main Avengers title of the era. So it was written by yeah. Kurt Busiek, has some great art, like starts off with Alan Davis and Mark Farmer. And then later on, we have people like Kieran Dwyer come in and Ivan Rice. Like, it's just, it's a really, really ambitious, cool story, but it's also really, really weird and features like an interesting Avengers lineup, to say the least, and goes in some weird directions, to say the least. I will not hear this Jack of Hearts slander. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, uh, Jack of Hearts is not the I'm problem. <laughs> Beth, when did you first read the Kang Dynasty? Did you read this as it was coming out or did you read it more recently? I didn't. I read it recently. It was, it's been on my list of things to get. And, um, like when on it, like it'd been on my list of things to read. Um, and then just in the run up to, um, Comic Con earlier on this year, I was like, oh, I was away in, in Scotland that weekend working. I was like, I'm going to go down to the local comic book store and get some stuff. I'll probably finally get Kang Dynasty. And then that was when it was announced that they were going to be doing that, which I assume is going to be a two-parter. I assume it's going to be Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars. And I can kind of see how they're going to do that. Because just, you know, I suspect, I don't know if you want me to talk, I suspect they're going to replace Doctor Doom with Kang for the Secret Wars thing. Because I think it would work well sort of doing that way. But yeah, it's one of those ones that kind of passed me by at the time. And it was only like recently that I'd looked at it and gone, oh, trying to get more into sort of like the Kang stories to get a better sort of feel before seeing some new Kang from Jonathan Majors, which I'm so excited for. It's a lot. Yeah, yeah it is. It's a great story. It's such a good story. Um, it, it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting reading it now because like uh, the point when Kang turns up at the beginning of the story just arrives and says to shows everyone on Earth possible alternative futures. And one of them is, yeah, the rich are just going to get richer and richer. and The rest of you are going to be hunting for scraps and uh, you're not going to like it if you don't let me. This is one of your possible futures. Do you want this one? It's like, hang on a second. This is the exact future that we've got. <laughs> Science fiction, is it? Yeah. Oh. A brave prophetic story from yeah. music. <laughs> it really is just reading it and going, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I'd like Kang rule this. You know, <laughs> this time he's the lesser of the two evils, you know? But uh, yeah, and it's. Oh. But yeah, completely sort of, sort of powered my way through it. And it is so much fun. It's such a good uh, storyline because that's the thing with Kang, because there are so many different alternate versions of him uh, through all of the different, you can kill him so many times and he can keep coming back and he can do all of these things and he can learn from his mistakes and, and he can find out what went wrong and go, right, okay, well, next time I won't let that happen. And I know how you're going to react to me because this is how you reacted to all of my other variants. So okay, let's, uh, I can go and plan how to do that and you can't. So I'm, I'm really excited about how they're going to do this. I got to say, Alec did a really good job back in the Loki days of making the He Who Remains stuff make sense, you know, and between Alec and one of our, uh, one of our Denny Geek contributors, Jim Dandano, even after years of comic reading, I can't wrap my head around Kang. So if it wasn't for Alec and, and some of the stuff that Jim wrote for us, like I would still be getting a little bit lost. But Alec, let me tell you, you are about to get like an adult dose of <laughs> Kang the Conqueror in the MCU. <laughs> 200 milligrams of pure Kang. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, like strong. that in. Kang, baby. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and I, and I'm really looking forward to once again, you being the one who's like, no, this is, this actually makes perfect sense. All you, all you comic book readers have been telling me forever how this character is just like a giant <laughs> migraine. And for whatever reason, Alec is like a Kang savant. And just like, <laughs> I think it's because every single person writing in the, the multiverse saga for Marvel right now comes from Rick and Morty. And for some reason, it's much easier to understand if it's like comes from a cartoon 
So I feel like <laughs> just using like my Rick and Morty knowledge, I'm like, no, like you, the multiverse is like pretty easy to wrap your head around. Yeah, it's it's a flat disc. And uh, the reason that Kamala Khan going back in time doesn't actually go and break the rules, the pre-existing rules of time travel is because she wasn't the person who did that action. She didn't deliberately go back in time to change the future. She was brought to the past uh, by her great grandmother. So that was so it was her great grandmother who was altering time to bring someone from the future so that's how they can do it and affect the laws uh, of time travel and i strongly suspect that when kang finally does show up properly uh, mark ruffalo is going to have to eat his words about how that's not how time travel works perfect yeah sorry. time travel works how kang says it works yeah. exactly <laughs> this is it i mean Curse it's a not. very Oh, sorry, Mike. No, go ahead. No, it's okay. I was just, I was just gonna say, I understand. This was also your first experience with the Kang Dynasty. Yes, and I haven't finished reading it yet, but I, I was already aware of the story. It is very complex. There's a lot of different um, teams and groups involved in this one. Over, I think it's 16 issues, right? Um, so even though it starts off, you know, Kang comes to Earth and he says, these are all your futures. They're all really shit. Um, so now you're, you're Kang's people now. You work for me. But the things that spin off from that are just are, are quite complicated and involve so many different people. Um, and at some point, there is a giant black pyramid in space called the Triple Evil, which makes me laugh every time. I just... They they just weren't trying that day when they were like, let's just come up with a name for this bad thing. How about the triple evil? Oh my God, that's amazing. Like, I just love to be in the room that day. Um, yeah, but there's also uh, a bunch of um, Avengers in it that the MCU is already playing with. And there's uh, they have so many to pick from here because they have an alpha Avengers team, they have a beta, a beta Avengers team, they have a Gamma Avengers team, and you know some essential people are Scarlet Witch, who almost certainly isn't dead in the MCU, Carol Danvers as Warbird, um, you've got Captain America, you've got Photon, uh, probably Mo Monica Rambeau's name possibly um, next time we see her, um, Thor, you've got Wasp, uh, Wonder Man, who's got a TV series on the way at Disney+, Plus. Hercules, obviously Brett Goldstein, just entered the MCU, Black Knight, everyone's asking when um, Kit Harrington will be back, well there's a possibility that he will be back by the time Kang Dynasty roll, uh, rolls around. Um, so I can see why they went for it, but I'd imagine, yeah, they're, they're only going to take very basic elements from this story and not all um, the other stuff because it's just impossible to wrap your head around if you're, if you're uh, just for a movie, you know. Well, not to mention, I mean, you want to talk about other stuff, like one of the most ill-advised stories in Marvel history is... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> best face oh we're doing it yeah is, is, like, going there. is like not only not only referenced only in this yeah <laughs> like they, they like kind of tie it up and not only that it like gets an entire issue like they, there's like one of the issues is like has like a gone with the wind cover homage to <laughs> yeah. carol danvers and Scarlet Centurion, who is Kang's son, but who is also Carol Danvers's son, but who is also Carol Danvers' rapist slash lover. Like, it's a very, um, it's a really uncomfortable story. Yeah. And there's all these other great, like, really badass Carol Danvers moments in this story, like, especially in the second half. Like, the second half of this story features like one particular Carol Danvers moment that I think if done right on screen could be like the definitive moment for Captain Marvel in the MCU. You know what I mean? But yeah. like by the time I get to that, like I'm still traumatized from, from the earlier stuff. Like where did this story come from? Because even I'm not familiar enough with, with Avengers lore to, Obviously, this was something that had been seeded earlier in continuity, right? I don't know. I don't know. Full, like clearly, when when you're reading through it, it becomes it comes across that it's it's because again, I don't know exactly where this has come from either. But like, it comes across that he's used mind control on her and 
made mm. her, you know, into this sort of sex slave at some point in the past. Uh, and God, yeah, it's like, you might have thought about this before you went, do you know what we should have? These two characters as part of this Avengers team up, like get Warbird out. Like Carol Danvers is a great character. Warbird is a great character in this. This is like, well, now we've got to address the elephant in the room. No, and you don't. Like, no, <laughs> don't, don't. don't do it. <laughs> it's incredibly problematic. Um, one of the more positive aspects of Carol Danvers as Warbird here, which I'd love to see happen in the MCU, is that she um, she has gone from being incredibly overpowered in uh, the previous sort of era to here having a power set where she absorbs it from other things. And I'm not sure if it's other characters as well, but I do like the idea of Captain Marvel sort of like going from Avenger to Avenger or or from like uh, MacGuffin to MacGuffin and just absorbing like all these amazing different powers or um, these different levels. Rogue and Starlight in the boys. (laughs) <laughs> exactly yes yeah i was really having a good time watching alec react to us trying <laughs> to explain this um <laughs> this is like this is like the fourth or fifth time where like you guys have talked about something horrific that's happened to a woman character in marvel yeah. <laughs> like, like every week to like and you'll never believe what happened to scarlet witch <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Like, yeah i, I mean I mean, Scarlet Witch of all characters, you want to talk about a character that's just been like, like, like a punching bag for male writers, like for, you know, like, like, like for decades, you know, like, again, I didn't really properly familiarize myself with Carol Danvers until she took on the Captain Marvel mantle. You know what I mean? So like, I was not familiar with like the Warbird era or even the Ms. Marvel era. Like, those are not stories that I knew. I only knew like new Captain Marvel, awesome costume, you know, like et cetera, et cetera, where like the character was treated really well. And then like, you're kind of going back to this. I'm going, oh boy. Like, <laughs> and and that, that costume is amazing. The, like the, 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 the Jamie McKelvey designed one is just wonderful. I love most of his work. And I'm and I'm not just saying that because yesterday he thought I was making fun of him and saying that he wasn't a good artist. I, he definitely <laughs> is. <laughs> I uh, happen to say that people often tell me that I need to be, learn to separate the art from the artist. And I'm really good at that because I'm friends with some really terrible artists. <laughs> <laughs> they are just really bad at art and they are the loveliest people. And he went... <laughs> Are you talking about me? <laughs> Somebody had to tell you, Jamie. So, um, but yeah, no, his design for that, that, that Captain Marvel design is absolutely fantastic. It's so good. It's exactly what, like, it's exactly what was needed for going and bringing Carol Danvers in. I reckon, um, yeah, Captain Marvel is going to be a, uh, at the forefront here um, in the Kang Dynasty and probably Secret Wars too. Um, we did ask our social media followers which Avengers they'd like to see in the Kang Dynasty. And answers range from Squirrel Girl to Shang-Chi, but absolutely Wong was up there. Um, just as we've re- recently learned, he is everybody's favorite. Um, and we suspected that for a while before anyway, didn't we? But with Shang-Chi director Destin Daniel Cretton helming this one as well, I think we can safely assume that Shang-Chi might be central to the team in the movie version of the Kang, of the Kang Dynasty. We got some comments on Twitter about this. Um, MC Hawk said they wanted Moon Knight, Deadpool, She-Hulk, Howard the Duck and Loki <laughs> saving the world with random bullshit and ultimate chaos. That's their, their perfect team. <laughs> um, Matthew Johns also went for a wild lineup listing Moon Girl, Devil Dinosaur and Franklin Richards on his team. Our Chris McNeely said, it's the West Coast Avengers time to shine. So the likes of Wonder Man should definitely make the roster. I agree, actually. Uh, Adam Scott was a bit more sensible going with Shang-Chi, Kate Bishop, Yelena and Kamala Khan. Beth, who would you like to see on the Kang Dynasty Avengers lineup? I mean, obviously Squirrel Girl. Squirrel Girl is one of my favourites uh, of the <laughs> characters who aren't currently in the MCU that I'd like to see join. I would really love to see Gwenpool. Um, but of the ones that they've got there, I, I'm really excited to see who's 
who the new Fantastic Four are. I know that we've heard like various rumors and bits of leaks and stuff like that, but they would be great in this. I think because um, this is the thing, like so much because we're now in the multiverse saga, so we need we can have all sorts of people showing up in this even before we get to Secret Wars. Even in Kang Dynasty, we can have the the realm the you know the walls between worlds thinning. So I would like to see. Uh, I would like to see the various Spider-Mans back in. Um, <laughs> and maybe the Fantastic Fours, including the Fan Four Sticks. I would l- very much like to see Michael B. Jordan's uh, Johnny Storm going up against Killmonger. I think that would be <laughs> That would be something I would like to see in this. Um, alternate universe uh, Iron Man, I would like to see coming into this. I think that would be good because I, I strongly suspect that that's kind of where they're going to go with this to be able to reset and bring in new characters. So, you know, you need that with the multiverse. But yeah, for the Kang Dynasty, I think most of the ones that we've already got have, that have shown up who aren't Thunderbolts, who aren't, you know, Dark Avengers types. I think we're probably going to see the mutants start to arrive in phase six before we get to the Kang Dynasty. So I'm really hoping that we get Wolverine. That's what I'm looking for, especially after last week's sort of little Easter egg in She-Hulk about the man yes. with the claws in a bar fight. <laughs> Wolverine, baby. He's here. <laughs> I want to see Wolverine Alec, and Deadpool. That's what I want to see. Alec, do you care? <laughs> this is always my question to you. Alec, do yeah, you care? Yeah, I know. <laughs> you should ask me that about every single thing we ever talk about. <laughs> We're getting Just, there slowly. <laughs> do you care, by the way? Um, <laughs> I mean, honestly, the answer here is kind of no, because I just like I'm I'm most interested. In, maybe this is a cop out, but I'm just kind of most interested in whoever Kevin Feige says is most interesting to me. Like, I just generally like to I don't like to get too far ahead of myself with this because I don't have the extensive comics knowledge. Like, I just generally want to see everybody who's mainlined a phase four film plus Bruce Banner. And like that, I'm good. Like whoever Feige demands that I see, I'm happy to see be an Avenger in, in Kang Dynasty. And the Eternals, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, exclusively Eternals. Yes. One thing about the comic is like they make the deviants like one of the threats yes. that the Avengers have to deal with. So like like I think you know this will naturally have a place for some of the mythology and Eternals that you know so far hasn't been addressed in the wider MCU. I think that, and I also think like bringing in Namor as one of the villains. Um, oh, yeah. Just because, mm. you know, yeah, all of the villains that are still alive need to come back in for this. That's the other part of it for the Kang Dynasty. Like all of the villains that they've currently got that are available, like Abomination probably will end up getting dragged into this. Um, Kingpin. Yeah. Oh, stop. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question about Kang Dynasty. Um, when you guys were first talking about it, you mentioned that like the premise is kind of that like Kang just wins at the beginning. It strikes me as fairly similar to Infinity War. And I'm wondering how hmm. they'll be able to pull off something like that again, which leads to a quick follow up question. Um, you also mentioned that Kang like tells people what their alternate futures could be. Does he give anybody a choice like like let me in charge or we're going to have this wild wealth disparity or yeah is that's pretty much it yeah, yeah he turns yeah. up and he goes these are like half a dozen different futures that you may have if you don't let me be your ruler let me be your ruler and i will be harsh i will be cruel i will be authoritarian <laughs> but it'll be better than any of these uh, <laughs> and then basically tells the entire everybody on earth that if they go and rise up against whoever is in charge of law enforcement in their area, that he will go and like give them good jobs in his in his new world order. Like that's <laughs> that's how he Imagine. kicks it off, and you go, yeah, that's how to win. Yeah, 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 that's pretty much entirely how to take over the world immediately. I'm just imagining this like I, I like I punch a police horse and say Jonathan Majors sent me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be mean to animals. Please. As long as they do an old timey bar fight, because that has sadly been lacking from film since Burt Reynolds retired. With like a piano player. Yeah, right piano way. player, somebody getting launched across a bar <laughs> through a window. I want to see like a big proper punch up going on. Like that's what that. That's the sort of thing <laughs> that I think is sadly missing from the MCU. 
based on that, I think I see the vision now. Like I see how that is different from Infinity War. Because like Thanos didn't really <laughs> didn't really source any outside opinions. He just comes in and goes, yeah, this is it. Yeah. Whereas Kang yeah. is is more because uh, that's like that's the way that Kang has to win. It's and it's the way that he tries to at the end of the first season of Loki is to go, yeah, I got rid of all of the worst people. This is the best version of me for for you. You you kill me, then this is going to go wrong, and they're all going to come back, and. You think I'm bad? Wait until you see my variants. And that's like, oh, I still get shivers just thinking about that moment. It, and that's how that's how Kang has to win. It's that thing of showing up and going, I know everything. I've seen everything. I have every single moment of your entire lives recorded and in my memory. And I know exactly how every single version of this plays out. Stephen Strange, I know more than you do. I know more futures than you know. Essentially, he does what Stephen Strange does at the end of Infinity War, of going and counting all the different futures and goes, this is the one that can happen. It's like, it's almost like that, but a dark uh, reflection of it, which is kind of why I think, and this is my little pet theory, is that when it comes to Battleworld, uh, in the Battleworld comic books, um, Stephen Strange is working alongside Doctor Doom, and there's a fantastic scene where he's chatting with Doom, because Doom is now God Emperor of everything, and he just sort of says, you know, we had this discussion. We decided that I would be God because you didn't want to be Stephen. You know, it's like Dr. Doom has decided he's going to be omnipotent. And I kind of get the feeling that that's kind of how it's going to go because they are so setting up Dr. Strange as a baddie. Like he is a supervillain in every single aspect other than <laughs> the fact that we've been told that he isn't. And I love that for the character. I uh, I am with you, by the way, Beth, that the 80s Secret Wars, the villain, you know, the villain is the Beyonder. The modern Secret Wars, it's Doctor Doom who's kind of pulling the strings. It's it's definitely going to be Kang filling both of those roles. Yeah. I, I just I'm I'm it, and it makes perfect sense. And even if we take what the MCU usually does, which is, you know, just take like the bits and pieces from a comic that work you know, and, or not even that work, like just take the elements that they want to remix and into something that feels right for the MCU. Even the way all of the different threats arise on earth in the comic book version of the Kang dynasty, you can see how, as we get to secret wars, that naturally carves the planet up into battle world, you know, which like where each of these little fiefdoms also become alternate realities or, you know what I mean? Like I can, yeah. I can see them really getting weird with that for secret wars. So um, I'm intrigued. And really, I mean, as somebody who frankly is, is getting a little tired of multiverse stories. Like I, I think that folks are, you know, major studios in particular are kind of overestimating the public's appetite and understanding of these kinds of stories. I'm mostly looking at Warner Brothers at the moment, unfortunately, and what they're doing to my beloved DC movies. But, um, you know, I am after reading Kang Dynasty and as I start to revisit Secret Wars, I am just so fascinated by all the different ways and all the different kind of gyrations they're going to have to do to make this work on the big screen and palatable for a mainstream audience, you know, and uh, it's going to be an interesting few years. My one little fan cast I think that I just, I know that they won't do, but I would absolutely love to see them do in, in Secret Wars is uh, there's a bit in that um, in the Secret Wars comics of just a quick glimpse where Peter Parker gets to see the Uncle Ben averse Earth 615, which is just every single human being on that in that entire reality is Uncle Ben and <laughs> completely breaks his tiny mind. It's like, here you go, here's your trauma, an entire universe of just your pure trauma. I mean, they can spare one, can't they? Come yeah. on. Well, they should do, yeah, they should do that. Only they, obviously with this, they'd have to make it the Aunt May averse. But yeah, that would be. <laughs> arriving goes through the multiverse shatters into this thing with you know with or without america chavez and discovers that every single person there is aunt may kirsty what do you think have we uh 
have we tortured Alec enough with our uh, with our comic book talk and Kang Dynasty? Is it time to move on? To I Shino? think so. It's time for Alec to spend half an hour talking about twerking. I was about to say it's time for me to torture <laughs> you. <laughs> right. Well, the tables have turned. <laughs> well, you know, I gotta say, like before, you know, this, this episode was this. I like this episode to tell you the truth. Like I was not here for last week's Marvel standum, you know, so I wasn't around to talk about episode two, episode two, I really disliked and, and it really made me nervous, but this episode of She-Hulk felt like something I could get behind, but Kirsty, why don't you start by just letting everybody know what went down? Sure. Uh, in She-Hulk episode three, Emil Blonsky is in trouble with the parole board after escaping from prison to fight Wong in the underground fight club. So Jen and Nikki track down Wong and ask him to appear before the board to explain that it's his fault that Emil jeopardized his release. Wong eventually shows up and Emil is granted parole based on the Sorcerer Supreme's explanation, luckily. Meanwhile, Jen's misogynistic ex-colleague Dennis wants to fight an Asgardian light elf in court after she scammed him out of his money by pretending to be Megan the Stallion on a dating app. During the post credit scene, she helped <laughs> twerks with Megan the Stallion, which was definitely not on my 2022 bingo card, but here we are. I thought this one worked, if nothing else. I mean, I know everybody seems to have mixed feelings about this show, but one thing that I think we can all agree on is how great Tatiana Maslany is. I'm ridiculously overwhelmingly positive about this show. Like, I just absolutely love it. It's exactly what I've been wanting to watch. It's exactly how I wanted to see She-Hulk, really. Um, but I know that a lot of people have got a lot of problems with it, whether that... And I think also partly because I realised yesterday, whenever I see anything with special effects, I can't tell... Since about 1997, I can't tell whether or not special effects are getting any better until I look back six months from now. Like, I just completely, I buy into this stuff immediately. I just go, oh, this is great. Um, yeah, I've really loved this series so far. I think it's great. I particularly enjoyed today's episode. I think Pug is just, oh, I love him so much. Um, my absolute favourite. You know, I'm with you in that this is the She-Hulk show that I have kind of expected. All the elements of what I want out of She-Hulk show are there. It's just that, like, not everything is gelling for me. So that's really where my I'm the middle of the road person here, though. You know, it's like Alec is super positive on it. Kirsty, far less so. And and I feel like I've been the one trying to trying to navigate a middle path between the things that aren't quite working and the things that uh, that are. I, I find it fine, basically, but I'm I'm just not in love with it. Um I think I think it's probably I'm glad everyone's enjoying it, but like probably it's just not for me. Alec, I'm gonna let you wax enthusiastic for a moment and bring the <laughs> mood back up. I mean, so you'd think I, I mean, like I've talked a big game, you'd think I'd have a lot to say, but like to me, it's kind of like it it boils down to like I mentioned this in my review, like we can analyze something all we want, but at a certain point, comedy is a binary. <laughs> like either you find something makes you laugh or it doesn't. Um, and starting with this episode and carrying into next week, She-Hulk just made me laugh, like at least a few times, which is, you know, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it's I very rarely <laughs> guffaw watching something alone in my home on my laptop. But this got me a few times, including um, the post credit sequence, which I think we can all agree has like the potential to be the most cringy document ever produced by the human species. <laughs> um, just having, having this a tall like a six foot seven cgi green woman twerk alongside a, a music superstar um should immediately stop my heart with just pure cringe um but I, it just worked and i can't tell you why it works like i i can't analyze it i can't get into the complexities of it with you uh i just made me laugh and as as does increasingly a lot of things in this show, uh, and I think it just gets funnier next week to me. This uh, is it. Like this morning, I I woke up and first thing this morning I went and put it on and was sat downstairs. I'm fairly sure I woke my wife by laughing at various different points during this, and and I, yeah, it's so much fun for me. I just I'm finding it so much fun to 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 see, and because we don't really we've not really had a 
for, I'm not seeing a great lawyer show outside of like uh, The Good Wife and uh, The Good Fight. Those like the, those are the lawyer shows that I've watched over the last 10 years. And I'm like, I want something a bit more fun. And I like that they've gone down that sort of more Ali McBeal route with this. And, and yeah, there've been issues with like, for me, a couple of the issues that I've seen is like in terms of editing it so that it's uh, obviously to get around some of the issues that they had in terms of making sure that the VFX was ready and, and 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 so on. And just trying to, you know, get the show to like just fit together as it should do. But mostly like I've found the, the characterization sort of like as they've built, I'm just finding that I'm enjoying it more and more and I'm liking the characters more and more. And the fact that it's over nine episodes is gives you a little bit more time to sort of like warm up to the characters in a way that I feel like with with Moon Knight, with um uh with Ms. Marvel and again loved those. I'm like absolutely I just adore all of them. Um, I'm just I'm just happy to see anything comic book related going and made and being put up on a screen. I will watch that. You, you can. I'm so glad that there's that uh, rumored clause in Sony's contract that they have to put a live action Spider Man movie out every two years because I will continue to watch a live Spider Man movie every two years until I die. Um, and I've just really enjoyed like I'm, I'm, what I'm enjoying about this is they have it has got more time to sort of open up and allow you to get to know the characters. But I don't that's like my one criticism of it so far is that it doesn't feel like it's tried to do that. Like I know that they went and switched it around because they were going to have the um, because they were going to have the, the the origin story like like episode seven or episode eight, I think it was. And they put that in the beginning, which I suspect is because of how that kind of the feedback that they got from Moon Knight from doing from doing that, that they've gone, actually, yeah, no, we do need to put it at the beginning. Yeah, I feel like it's slowly building. I feel like that's that's what we're getting here. We're, we're slowly getting to know the characters, but it so far, I've kind of felt like it's like we're in episode three now and it's like, okay. So that first episode was like a, a portmanteau that was edited together to try and make it so that we knew what was coming. And the second episode was like, that should have been the opening episode of the season and now isn't. And now we're on episode three, but it seems to be at the point of episode two in terms of the season arc. So I think that's the thing. So I suspect from next week, from season four, from episode four onwards, as you were saying, Alec, that from there it's it's going to start building and feeling like it's building a little bit better. I don't know, maybe I'm talking rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one that gave me the lawyer show vibes that I've been waiting for, yeah. though. Like, I, I, yeah. You know, I, I want this to be a procedural. Like, I really want this to be a case of the week show for that very reason. Great news on that front. <laughs> so like, I think part of it, there's a couple of interesting things at play here. One is that this is so, it is a procedural. And it's like, aside from the Blonsky story kind of carrying over two weeks, because I feel like that earned it. You know, that's a big cameo for them to get. It, a lot of the episodes really are self-contained and that might not lend itself to this level of analysis that we usually uh, give to a Marvel show. It'd be if we had like a weekly podcast for young Sheldon. I just feel like the best sitcoms you end up watching like, like the whole season and you remember like not loving every single episode, but by the end of the season, you're like, Man, I love that show. What a fun little time we just had together. I love that um, show. And here are eight of my favorite jokes from it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the next um, time I watch it, they'll be replaced by eight different jokes. Exactly. <laughs> that's that's what you want from a sitcom. And you, yeah, absolutely. I agree. My nine-year-old would agree too. She just watched eight seasons of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Wow. Um, she's, a, she's a binger. And she gets through this stuff and uh, she, uh, every day she has a new favorite joke from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. That's, that's usually been my go-to that I put on in the background when I'm writing, when I have to get, <laughs> when I'm trying to sort of get in the mind space for, for some of the, like the comedy type TV stuff that I write. I just have that on in the background because it's something I can dip into and out of and it's pretty much on a constant loop of episodes. Yes. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that was really good. Right. Why do I need to be mentally? Being background noise to me is like the highest level any comedy can hope to strive to. Like, oh, that's, that's what we're all doing this for. It's like, just being like somebody's background noise for half their life. And I feel like uh, She-Hulk is the closest Marvel show 
the Marvel show gets to that. Except um, in live performance. That's the one time I don't really like being people's background noise. Mm. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> doing comedy, doing stand-up in front of 300 people on like bachelor and bachelorette party stags and hen parties. Oh uh, boy. Who have made a terrible mistake. They've seen the club <laughs> and gone, oh yeah, we're going to a club. What's this comedy club? No. Um, <laughs> that's the one time. But other than that, yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. We've touched briefly on the other two guest stars. And uh, sorry, folks, by the way, I was uh, looking at the wrong run of show. I was looking at my run of show from two weeks ago. So oh, I Michael, I wondered why you were doing that. Yeah, sorry. It took me a minute to realize how far <laughs> off track I had gotten us. Uh, this is why we're not doing this episode live. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so we've touched on two of the guest stars already with, of course, Megan Thee Stallion and, and the return of uh, Tim Roth's uh, Emil Blonsky. But we got to talk about our fan favorite in the polls, which is Wong. And uh, like this character knows how to make an entrance, knows how to make an exit, is probably the master of the deadpan delivery in the entire MCU. And it's interesting, too, that at least episode two takes place concurrently with the events of Shang-Chi, I guess. And, and I'm wondering how much thought any of us have tried to give to the phase four MCU timeline. A lot. I don't think it is definitely concurrent. Sorry, I'm just immediately diving in because I am. Um, I, Please. I don't think that that was that it, he'd just been filmed doing that. I think that someone had sat on that for a while and then hmm. seen that he was about to be released and decided to go and, and decide to go and oh. put it out. Is what I suspect. I suspect it's possibly even the person who's working to try and drain some of Jen Walter's blood to try and go and create more. I suspect it's potentially uh, Samuel Stearns. Working. Yes. That's who I say, Don't they say on the news? There's a news report that it's happened, right? Yeah, Bethany's saying that like, they leaked the footage like it happened previously, which yeah, sounds really footage, plausible. Yeah, they had the footage and they were sat on it for a long time. Oh, they, okay. They mm, yes. Whoever it is who has the, that has yeah, gone, I hadn't oh, even thought of that. Let's make sure he doesn't get out because whilst he's in prison, I suspect it's Samuel Stearns because what I suspected is, is that Samuel Stearns has been draining his blood whilst he's in there in order to go and create more of these superheroes because suddenly we've got loads of those turning up. I, potentially that he is the real power broker rather than Sharon Carter. Oh. Um, and that they, and that he's behind that, including the Asgardian wrecking crew coming to try and take some of Jen Walter's blood in this episode. That's what I suspect is happening. Am I still the only person, uh, at least of the regular Marvel stand-up crew, who went back and rewatched The Incredible Hulk before this show? <laughs> yeah. I watched it again recently. Yeah. It's good, right? Like, it's an interesting... It's, it is better than I remember it, but I remember, yeah. the, the, like, the only thing repeat, with repeated watches that each time I watch it, uh, Tim Roth CGI abs just get worse and worse. Yes! And... <laughs> And it's horrible. And that was my first introduction into the issues that Marvel are currently having with VF VFX people was because the guy who'd done that shot went was on Twitter and going, look, that was my shot. I was given it at like 8 p.m. and was told it had to be on somebody's desk by 10 a.m. the next morning. That's why it's that bad. And I was like, oh, right, OK. <laughs> but yeah, like that's the only thing. <sighs> Yeah, it's that it's that thing of like the story has, uh, without wishing to disparage Ed Norton, who I think is a fantastic actor. Uh, I think that sometimes some of his choices in terms of what he's how he's wanted films to then come across that he's been in, have not always been to the benefit of the of the film itself. And I think that's a little bit of what's gone on. That's a little bit of what went on with the two thousand and eight Hulk. I thought it was a perfectly serviceable Hulk movie. Especially after, like, uh, especially, like, because I, I remember really enjoying Ang Lee's Hulk when I first saw it and then watching it a couple of years later and thinking it was the worst thing I'd ever seen. And then watching <laughs> it two years later and going, well, this is perfect. This is exactly what it should be. <laughs> it's just, this like, exactly settling Hulk... back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, yeah, and each time I watch it, it's, it's, it's almost like watching an entirely different movie, which I suspect means that it's a really good film that just every time I watch it, I have a different opinion of. Um but yeah, I thought it was great. I'm like at the time, I thought it was great, and it's the thing that I find interesting at the moment. Because like here we are, we're like get, we're nearly at the end of phase four, 
and the amount of people who've said, oh, phase four is, is uh, they, they peaked with the Infinity War and Endgame and now everything's, they've, they've gone to, it's, it's terrible. This is the worst phase. And you go, even if you go in just off IMDb ratings, which are terrible things to try and go off, but uh, between that and box office, this is far more successful than all of phase one. Everything in this has got a better review than almost everything in phase one. It's that thing of when you're starting to build it up together, once you don't have that unifying storyline, or at least if people don't see what the unifying storyline is until the next phase, then they're all going to be going, well, this doesn't make any sense. We've gone quite a far away from the timeline, haven't we? Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> That's fine. It was my fault. But I like this Samuel Stearns theory so much. Kirsty, Alec, are you are you at all motivated yet to go watch The Incredible Hulk? Uh <laughs> no, I am oh, motivated on. to go and <laughs> to go and rewatch Ang Lee's Hulk again, which I, I love. So Samuel Stern's Tim Blake Nelson? Yes. All right. I'm getting a little closer to wanting to rewatch Incredible Hulk. <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> All right. I tried, folks. Is this the Marvel standum or the Marvel stand don't them? Oh, whoa. Oh. <laughs> See how it is. You know. <laughs> See how it is. I do have to give it up for this show. The casting of Jen's former co-worker like, <laughs> is so perfect. Like, it's one of those castings that I fear, like, I actually fear for the well-being of the actor because, because there is no way you can separate the, you know, like, I always go back to, like, Janice from The Sopranos, who, like, by all accounts, like, like the, the actor in question is just, like, a wonderful human being, but Janice was such, like, a horrible like it was just like the absolute worst that it's like, wow, if I ever saw this person, like, like how, like, how would I react? You know what I mean? And, and Mr. Bukowski here, or that is his name, right. Is just the, the epitome of, of like just slime, you know, and I, the first joke that truly, truly got me on this show was Jen taking the stand for him, not even yeah. like as a character witness for him. Like I just thought that was incredible. Uh, so, yeah. Did did anybody else, uh, you know, f- like feel like anything for this episode's B plot? Definitely. First of all, I like that. Look, the the fourth wall breaking is getting more natural and less weird. Like when when Jen commented on like, oh, connecting the A and B stories, like that worked for me. But one thing I like about She-Hulk, and I would endeavor that it ha- it does this better than any other Marvel property yet. Like, it has the best randos of any, like, Marvel property. <laughs> just the, the normal just Joes and Janes on the street, particularly, like, the douchey, misogynistic ones, are just so cartoonish um, that it's, like, befitting a comic book property. Like, they're just, like, these cartoonish little weird worm guys, and they're all so funny to me. Um, and there's again, there's more coming up. Like next week has maybe my favorite random um, just Marvel Jane or Joe of all time. I enjoyed the B plot. I like I could watch the actor who plays Pug all day just in this character. There is just something so warm about him. He, like and the contrast between him and Dennis, Dennis Bukowski, like is just it's it it works so well. That that I. Um, Almost was heartbroken at that moment when uh, when uh, Rua, the the light elf, is that her name, walks out and pretends to be Pug, and I like harassing women. It's what I do. Yeah, <laughs> me. You know, you know me. I was like, yeah, heart like my little heart. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the B plot in that. And it, yeah, genuinely funny. I mean, I think the first thing that got me laughing at that point was as Jen walks in, you can just vaguely hear him saying, well, I'm really upset that you don't have any Red Bulls. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it was perfect. It's like, like I know how these things work. And I know that they were sat there trying to decide which was the more appropriate drink for him to have. Is it Red Bull or is it Mountain Dew? Like, which one is it that he would drink? And of course, it, or Monster. It would be between those three. And it's like, yeah. no, he's a Red Bull guy. Definitely Dennis Red Bull. very much a Red Bull guy. He's yeah. not a Monster guy. <laughs> definitely, definitely is like still pounding Red Bull and vodkas at the club in 2022. Yeah. Like, yeah. 
Speaking of, um, real quick, speaking of Pug, has anybody watched the other two? So he, he, that actor, Josh Segarra, I think, who plays Pug, plays one of the truly great, like, comedic (laughs) boyfriends of all time on the other two. He's one of the lead character's boyfriends, and he is just this completely (laughs) simple-minded, sweet and well-meaning like energy drink entrepreneur or something like he's always up to something, but he's very dim-witted uh, and very broy. But you love him. Um, and the other two in general is pound for pound, just like one of the funniest TV shows you'll ever watch. That has like forty laughs per episode. That is now on my list. Now, my personal favorite thing this episode was the arrival of the Wrecking Crew in the MCU, and. I have always had like this weird attachment to the Wrecking Crew. I mean, first of all, like, you know, just like cool old school, like C-list Marvel villains. But they were in like one of the earliest comics I ever bought. Like there's this like weird Thor run from the 80s where like uh, Ron Mars was doing amazing, like kind of Kirby-esque art on Thor for a while. And, you know, these are not like groundbreaking comics or anything, but like they were just like cool things you grabbed off the rack as a kid. And like for whatever reason, some of the early comics I bought featured the wrecking crew fighting, you know, Thor and ghost rider or something. They're just such cool, like working class, you know, C and D list baddies. And like, they're not even that bad sometimes, you know what I mean? Like, so seeing them show up and portrayed perfectly as just these hapless schnooks, who got their hands on some Asgardian like enchanted construction equipment just to get their ass kicked by She-Hulk in three minutes. I was like, yeah, perfect. That's, that's the wrecking crew. And I cannot wait to see more of them. Um, Like, and this is also like kind of more of the stuff that I've been waiting to see in the MCU. Like not everything has to be Thanos and Kang world shattering stakes, you know, like I want to see these corners of the MCU and shows like She-Hulk are the perfect place to explore that. And, you know, I feel like this was, if, if, if there was like a, like a Thor or a She-Hulk movie in like 1995, there is a non-zero chance that like the wrecking crew would have been the big threat of the movie. And it's like, no, that should never, ever happen. They should be introduced exactly as they were today in this episode. And I really can't wait to see more of them in the, in the rest of this series. Uh, but I don't know why I'm that excited. hundred <laughs> percent. I think that's like, I think that gets to the, the core of what I think is like the big issue that, uh, the MCU currently has, which is that every single movie that they've had and er- most of the shows have had like this big world ending climax. Not everything, like in comics, not everything's a world ending, but the, the world isn't always, I mean, the world is always under threat in the comics, but it's like a lot of the time, like a lot of Spider-Man is him trying to figure out how going to pay his rent. You know, a lot of like so much the street level stuff that goes on. You want the people who've gone. I think I could be. What yes. you want to see is people who've gone. I think I could do this, and they can't. That there is there are leagues of it. The ones who become super successful, the ones who are really really good at it, is a lot more difficult than it looks like. And that the amount of people who've just gone, yeah, I reckon I could do that. Like the Prowler is the only one who like starts, who in the comics starts off as that and then becomes like a much bigger villain. The rest of them, it's all, yeah. Oh, is it my job to get my ass handed to me by uh, by Thor this week? You know, Beth, as a big Spider-Man fan, I have you, you have you read superior foes of spider-man i haven't no that's again like i'm working my way through so much of of spider-man since i got the marvel unlimited app it's like trying to get through that but yeah yeah, because what you just described is exactly that is the superior foes like that is the vibe (laughs) it is just absolutely it is like absolutely wild stuff and 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 that was the vibe that i got from this it's just like another little detail that feels like perfectly at home you know in in the rest of the show it it took me back to you know the delightful almost street level stuff of hawkeye you know which is which is what i want more of out of these shows tracksuit draculas were just perfect like that's yeah 
exactly. And that, that was the other thing that Hawkeye got absolutely right that I loved. They got those guys. Kirsty, in all your comic book reading, have you even encountered the Wrecking Crew yet? Mm, occasionally, but they've never really stood out to me as anything other than sort of offhanded. Yeah, <laughs> sort They're of, not supposed of the to. week yeah. or whatever. Yeah, so um, I couldn't say I remember anything. There are some there. There are some of the Wrecking Crew in the original Secret Wars, correct? So that's probably the most time I've spent with them. Everyone knows Hawkeye is my favorite of these MCU Disney Plus shows. And the stakes for me sometimes can be that small and that affecting. Like, he just wants his suit back. That's it. Like, it's Christmas. He's got to get home to, to be with his kids at Christmas. Okay, that's enough for me. Like, if you can make that work, and they did... Like I'm having a great time. So um, I am genuinely hoping that as She-Hulk goes along and everything sort of slides into place and they build everything, um, that um, I, I grow to love it a lot more than I um, do at the moment because I'm not really connecting with it. So um, fingers crossed, really. I've, I haven't given up. Alec, are you pleased or surprised to know that the Wrecking Crew are exactly as ridiculous in the comics as what you just saw on screen? Yeah. <laughs> they kind of remind me, when the, when you were talking about it, they remind me of, like, Adrian Toomes' crew in um, Homecoming. Yes. Um, I will say, like, look, I didn't know that they... I just thought they were some goons. Like, I didn't know that that was anything of note. Uh, but I will say, like, between them and, and the Trusta Bro bros, it is kind of a golden era for goons in the MCU. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I, we, we skipped over this before and I apologize, but like, I think perhaps the best little world building detail in this episode was uh, Wong's uh, chaotic internet presence is I believe how it was, <laughs> how it was described. And the fact that he's worked at Target like <laughs> <laughs> not just worked at Target, but he was there for nine years. Like that's a stretch. That. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I'm like, I'm really like I, I, I'm a little surprised. I was a little taken aback that um our standom fans or, or watchers voted Wong so highly as like the face of the MCU, but it's only because they hadn't seen this episode yet. Like right. I, was, I was perfectly comfortable with it. Like to me, Wong is absolutely the face of the MCU and yes. might be just like my favorite character overall. But I wow. I'm shocked that people loved him this much before She-Hulk. And I'm just I'm almost afraid at the levels of love he's going to receive. Oh, <laughs> Benny Wong is such a good guy. And like he's from like literally about three miles away from where I'm sat right now. His family, I, I think his cousin, I, I was chatting to his cousin because she runs the Chinese uh, takeaway at the top of my street. Um, and yeah, like he has, I'm a big fan of his since 15 Stories High, the sitcom that he did. Um, and just watching him in this is just phenomenal. He's, I, I love seeing Benedict Wong show up in anything that he's in. And he's so good and just such warmth to him as a person that just makes you just, it, such charisma. Wonderful. Any final thoughts before we wrap it up for today? I've said my piece about the twerking. I've enough. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if you haven't heard enough from Alec about the twerking, go and read his review right now of episode three at Den of Geek dot com slash marvel um because it is phenomenal i think it's like maybe 1500 words on twerking and what it means and how it's a litmus test for mc fans everywhere <laughs> it really he, he goes so deep on it that you uh, you've got to read it so check it out if you can I think that's it for this week's Marvel Standin' folks. Uh, we are back every week on Thursdays now live. Not that we were live today and Fridays everywhere else. Next week, we'll be joined by House to Astonish host Al Kennedy to talk more She-Hulk and then Secret Wars. Al is absolutely the right person for this episode after also hosting a Secret Wars themed podcast that our very own Kirsten Howard guested on. Uh, make sure you are subscribing to us wherever you're watching or listening right now. Uh, by the way, how many of you folks are only listening to us on a podcast platform and not watching us on Twitch? You're missing out. Come see us live on twitch.tv slash TV. 
Don't forget to check out our web home at denigeek.com. You can find all our Marvel coverage, denigeek.com slash Marvel. Drop us a line. Let us know your burning questions and what you want us to cover in upcoming episodes. We are at Marvel Standom on Twitter and Instagram. Please don't forget, we also have a DC show. Check out DC Standom when you can on all major podcast platforms. Thank you to Andrew Howey, the best producer in any corner of the multiverse, who once again steered us through some technical difficulties that prevented this show from going out live to everybody. Thanks to Denny Geek social media coordinator, Lee Parham. He is doing great work for us on TikTok at Denny Geek TV. Thanks to Michael R., who makes the podcast version of this show all it can be. Thank you so much to our special guest this week, Bethany Black. Beth, anything you want to plug before we go? No. <laughs> oh, come on. Come on. Yeah, you can follow me if you like. I've got socials. Uh, I'm on various things. I, I, I'm I trying to get back into streaming a lot more. I've not I've been... Uh, I've got twitch.tv forward slash Bethany Black. Um, you can find me there. I, uh, I mostly stream talking basically is what it is it's mostly just talking <laughs> and occasionally playing games i have that horrible dilemma of being a comedian so people who want to listen to me talk don't want to watch me play games but the people who want to watch me play games don't want to hear me talk so <laughs> difficult difficult balance um, so what i'm saying is it's patchy come on watch me build lego that's probably the best thing <laughs> look at least you got something else going for you i don't even play games and nobody wants to hear me talk so i get it like <laughs> i hope you come back and join us again Beth. this was a blast i would love to thank you so much for having me and great right. this has been marvel standom on the denny geek network folks until next time remember we stand together see you next week <laughs>